Today's guest is driver operator Jason Powell. Jason has been part of Gainesville Fire Rescue for 28 years. He's been a driver operator for our department approximately 17 years. Jason has a reputation for not only contributing to the positive and family-style culture, but also setting the standard for knowledge and skill in the position of driver operator. Young officers across the department breathe easier when they check the riding schedule and see that their driver is Jason Powell. Welcome to Sharpen Your Axe. I'm Chief Sutton. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Chief. It's good to be here today. Thank you for the intro. Oh, no doubt. You know, you, when you and I started, and I started a little bit after you, but, you know, not everyone in the department even had a cell phone. And now we're sitting here recording a podcast, so sort of, sort of just a fun thing, you know? Right. Obviously, our goal with the podcast has been part of the umbrella of the Leadership Academy, uh, or underneath the umbrella of the Leadership Academy. And one of the things we're trying to do is just do as much as we can to get information out to all the, particularly the young prospective officers in the department and young firefighters that, you know, want to learn and get better and then giving them an avenue for information regarding leadership. So kind of brings me to my first question. What does effective leadership mean to you? Well, that's a good question. Um, being here as long as I have, uh, I've had the chance to work under several lieutenants. And, uh, of course, I was a firefighter under some of them, and then I was a driver under some of them. Each person that wears the white shirt in the company officer position, they bring to the table a different style of leadership. Some you buy into easily, and some you might not get along with so well. However, it's just kind of the mixed bag of dice that you get put into there. You know, but for me, the kind of leadership that I really, I try and portray and what I have been most successful with, I guess, is a lieutenant that is more of a do as I do, not as I say kind of leadership. And basically a lieutenant that's involved, not one sitting back with the feet up on the desk, pointing and saying, let's get this done and that done, but they actually are out there with the crew, no matter what the task is, hydrants, uh, truck check, sweep them off the floors, that kind of stuff, uh, being a team member. To me, that's a good start to being an effective leader. One of the things that we always talk about in some of the company officer courses that we teach is you have some responsibilities first thing in the morning where you sort of need to coordinate some training and maybe check your email, look at the riding schedule. But you sort of need to be careful that you don't get hung up always missing out on the truck check because that's I one agree. of the like low-hanging fruit right. where your crew sees you at least helping, right? Correct, and, like, yes. And, and sort of setting the example that they're not out there on their own. I was actually, I was teaching some of that stuff before I actually went to the road as a lieutenant. And it was sort of funny because some of those cats came in so early and like were so fast that I'd get out there like, I'm going to check the truck out with these guys and they'd be done. And, and I finally done. was just like, that's it. You know, one of these days I'm going to, I'm just going to do it before they even get here <laughs> I, in the morning. I hear you. Um, but no, I think that's a, that's a great example. I think it's really good timing. I, I, it was on my to-do list to have you here as a guest from the beginning. From the moment we had this idea, we knew we were going to want to interview all the ranks and, and people that had maybe one day in the department and people that had, like yourself, you know, 20-plus years. But the timing, I think, works out because literally last week we put out a driver's list. We had a, a driver's promotional exam, and we said, here, here were the results. So we, yep. we exhausted a driver's promotional list. 
and then we put a new one up. So we have a lot of new drivers in the department. What advice do you have for someone that's been a driver for a couple months to a year or just took the test and wants to be a driver? How can they be good drivers for our fire department? That's a good question. You know, I would start out by saying take the position very seriously. Even though you're on the driver's list and the perception is you may or may not get promoted between now and when the list expires, you are going to be held to a higher standard because you're probably going to be driving out of class every shift. And then, of course, if you get promoted, you will be a driver assigned somewhere. The thing is, is that nowhere else, most likely, you're going to drive something that is as expensive, is as big, yeah. is with the liability that comes with it. Yeah. And so here you come to work, and you're now put in a position of a truck that weighs, you know, 40,000 pounds, lights and sirens through intersections, deep pockets liability-wise, and everything's expensive. Plus, you have three or four lives on the truck as well. That's the time to really hunker down and, you know, take that spot seriously. Yeah. If someone says, okay, Jason, I'm, I'm taking it serious. I want to be good at this. I want to make sure that I'm viewed as a good driver in the department. What do I do? If you were going to give someone a recipe, here's how you can be a good driver. What are the things that they should focus on? A good start would be to develop a routine. And no matter where you're at, because you're going to be bouncing around from one station to the next, depending on what shift it is, is you need to be best acquainted with that apparatus as you can be. You might be driving a squad one day, the next shift an engine, the next shift one of our quints or tower trucks. And each individual engine and vehicle has its own personality, and you need to really learn that truck. And when you get promoted, you get assigned a station. And so you're always with the same vehicle, so it's a little bit easier. You know, you have the same person you're relieving, and the same person's relieving you for the most part, so there's cohesiveness there. But when you're on the driver's list, you know, you, you really need to develop a routine. And that is coming in and, first of all, being good relief. Uh, it starts with being good relief. Now, I'm not saying 7 o'clock relief, but, you know, quarter till 8, 8 o'clock, that's not good relief. So, you know, take some pride in being good relief unless something comes up and you can't be. But, you know, inherently, I would tell someone to learn all you can about each truck. Learn about the engines. Learn about the pumps, how they work. Learn about air brakes, you know. I mean, we don't really do any kind of repairs and fixing stuff, but you need to learn the signs and symptoms of what sounds right and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. There's been a few times, let me name one time specific, is uh, I was over here at Station 3, and we came to work, and the truck was out on a call. Coming back from the Duval area, they got caught at the red light. We're standing there in the engine room. Doors are up. We're just talking. And I hear this thing that sounds like a jet engine starting to rev up on the airport ramp. And I look over across the street, and engine three is starting to creep through the intersection and make its way back into the station. And as they're pulling in to the rear of the bay, they stop short, and it was a horrendous noise coming from the front of the truck. And as they shut the truck down, I asked the crew, I said, what's that noise? And they're like, I don't know. We kind of noticed it last night. And then in going on this call, it wouldn't let us get over like 20 miles an hour. And the same way we kind of limped back. So something's not right. You know, in my opinion, had it not been a newly out-of-class lieutenant and an even newer out-of-class driver, you might have recognized that something's not right. Yeah. What it is, is was the tension idler pulley 
the bearings had went bad, and you're real close to having catastrophic engine problems. Not to mention, had you got dispatched and went on a fire call, you may have had a failure of the apparatus on the fire ground. So anyway, learn your trucks is basically what it boils down to. I would say your routine is to check the truck every day. Pull it out. Run the pump. Check the lights. Put your hands on the equipment. You know, especially if you're bouncing around from one station to the next, you know, you need to know what's there and what's not. Probably the last thing would be uh, start studying territory. You know, it's kind of a lost art. Years ago, we used to have time on the board, chalkboard. It wasn't even a marker board. You know, you draw a square and you fill in the streets as much as possible. Nowadays with the CAD, the mapping, people's cell phones, GPS, it makes life a lot easier. And and the art of really knowing territory is kind of slipping away from us. And because one day the uh, Skynet's going to go down and uh, we're going to be running in the dark and you want to know where you're going. Well, I think that's true. And it's actually, you know, I had this call that sticks out in my mind. I think there was a cardiac arrest call on Quinn 8, the person who made the call was frantic, didn't exactly know where they were, Okay. you know, didn't know the address because it was just an offshoot off 441 to where there was a bunch of trucks parked. And the person in cardiac arrest was in the back of the truck loading the truck, and this person found him. And, you know, he's trying to describe where he is. The dispatcher took a best guess. We're getting close to where we're getting dispatched, and... Alan DeBose is listening to the dispatch information says, no, that's, that's not the right address. What they're describing is up here. Nice. And, and it wasn't that anyone made an error. The person calling didn't know the exact address. It was, he was guessing at where that, what street it might be. The dispatcher's going to hell. Okay. Well, based on what you're saying, it should be here. But based on what the person was describing, Alan was like, nope, it's not there. And I remember the, the rescue was actually a little bit ahead of us and turned on that street. And so we were all kind of like, all right, are you sure? Because you know, we're, we're passing the turn now, you know? Like, right. And he's like, nope, it's up here. And sure enough, we turn into this side industrial road and find the trucks that were like the milk delivery trucks. I guess uh, I'm trying to think of the company off the top of my head, but right. they're right where 441, like 6th Street turns up in, into 441. Okay. And Alan just knew the area so well. It was like, no, those trucks are parked up here. Sure enough, we found them in the back of a truck in cardiac arrest. And I remember walking away from that thinking it may have been 10, 15, 20 minutes before somebody had found this person if no one had known that what the person was describing was not the address we were dispatched to. The fact that we were able to drive right there and make an intervention on this was purely 100% Alan DeVos just knowing territory. And I was like, wow, that made a pretty significant impact just having that knowledge. Yeah, he's solid, great driver. Uh, it is harder as you are younger, right, to be that good at territory right. without just regularly working on it. But Correct. And, you know, that's kind of comes with once you get a – kind of a permanent out-of-class spot for some reason or get promoted, you'll be at that one territory. And that's when it's really time to hunker down and learn all the intricacies of it. And, you know, it paid off big time in that call that you just described because DeBose knew more so what he was – they were describing where the location was versus the address. So that's awesome. You know, one of the things that I I hear you talking about a little bit is sort of a dedication to checking that truck and knowing the equipment on that truck or wherever you're assigned – And I think what's sort of interesting is that, you know, it's easy to not necessarily feel that burden when you're just out of class all the time. Correct. Because you're being sent somewhere. Right. But particularly for the drivers, um, you know, you're kind of the anchor, right, for that station. When when someone's coming there as an officer out of class or on overtime, they're looking 
to the driver. Like, sure. hey, what do you normally do? Everything from when do y'all normally get meals to where is this kept on this compartment and territory? And have you been here before? What door do y'all normally go into in this building? Yeah, you're so, right. So I think sometimes, you know, what I what I would the message I would send to some of these young drivers is you're not just out of class. You're not just there driving the truck. You're actually the person that the firefighter leans on mm-hmm. for some support. And then the lieutenant, you're the middleman. You're the middleman. You're, you're the middle person, right? <laughs> you're we're leaning on you as an officer and then the firefighters are leading on you too right that's right i have to imagine that given your seniority as a driver but also the fact that you're a pretty accommodating personality you're a nice person right no one's afraid to come up and talk to you because you're a nice person you're welcoming personality that you feel that like you'll have a new officer or a new firefighter and they're both hey hey jason you know what what advice do you have you yeah know, like, you got one looking left to you for advice and stability and the one in the back's looking forward and they're looking for the same thing how do you manage that like if you're if someone's getting promoted a driver now we're saying hey you're don't just check the truck and know the territory but you need to help you need to be the xo the wingman not just for the officer but for the firefighter what's encompassed in that role you know that's a great question because as time has gone by i used to kind of think it was you know, it used to bother me when, like, let's say someone would be fresh on the lieutenant's list and they would come out and they're working with you today. And the first thing they would say is, hey, man, take care of me today. Don't let me mess up. So at some point, it kind of bothered me, but it's kind of a compliment. And of course, I would never let anybody get hung out to dry. I mean, if they asked me for advice, I'd give them my best thoughts on it if it was related to anything at the station or on a call. You know, one thing I've never done is I've never tried to uh, buck anybody's position or bully them just because I'm a senior guy. You know, you come out, I'm going to be supportive to you. That's just kind of my nature. You know, at the same time, it, it is uh, extra stress because a lot of times you have a new lieutenant and at times they're just an EMT. I find myself being the only medic on the truck. Mm-hmm. So now I'm driving to the call. We get on the call and it's the whole direction of being the paramedic, and not to say nobody's never been unhelpful or anything, but, you know, it's just, there's a lot of stress to it. There's a lot of stress to being a driver um, because you were involved, as soon as the bell goes off, you were involved in the entire thing. Other people get in the truck, they shut the doors, seatbelts on, off you go, come back, not the driver. You know, you got to wake up from a dead sleep, catch that address, off you go, and same thing goes with just even the daily stuff, driving to and from the store. You're involved in everything, you know, and it's a lot. But I kind of made the decision years ago that being the position of driver operator was going to be a career choice for mm-hmm. me. It's not that I didn't want to be a company officer, but I definitely didn't have the drive to do what all it takes to be one and more so taking all the classes. I think I started riding out. Shortly after I made driver, you know, I ride out probably at least half as much as I drive, you know, for the last 17 years. That being the case, it gives me a perspective of leadership and driving. It's been a lot over the years, so it's been well-rounded, I would say. Yeah, definitely.
if a new driver is saying, hey, I want to be a good wingman for my lieutenant, or I want to help make the crew more cohesive, what are some of the tips and tricks? Okay, right. yeah, that's a what's good that, question. What's that driver got to do to make the crew run smoother? You know, whatever makes your lieutenant's life easier mm-hmm. and um, less cluttered. Mm-hmm. Being solid in that position will just take a lot of weight off the shoulders of the company officer. Because as a company officer, you got all kinds of stuff to worry about. And if you don't have to worry about the person behind the steering wheel mm-hmm. for getting through town, for pumping a truck at a fire call, et cetera, that makes your life a whole lot easier. Something else I would say is become competent at territory. Handle the truck safely. Do good truck check in the morning, religiously. And you need to start taking a role in keeping the firefighters in line because it's kind of a it's a promotion. Mm-hmm. You're not a leader, but you got... Mm -hmm. rank and so you need to take a little bit of responsibility in getting the crew through the day with reminding your lieutenant about this or maybe suggesting this or telling the firefighter you're not doing this right you know you're in a position to do that right you can go up the ladder and down the ladder all in the same day you know Uh, one of the things that i noticed a little bit is that we've hired a lot of new people in the last two years never seen nothing like and (laughs) and uh particularly at a big multi-station, a big multi-company station like Station One, right. they're not looking to speak up, right? They're not looking, especially to the officers. And, you know, the rowdier the station, the more the new hires, you might find them hiding in the closet somewhere and just under a desk. Correct. They're like just looking to stay safe. And one thing I found is that I leaned on the drivers a little bit. They're not usually coming to tell me if they're uncomfortable about something or if they right. don't know something or if they're having any kind of issue. But they might talk to the drivers a little bit more. Absolutely. Because they're, the driver isn't necessarily, they don't have the perception that that driver's dinging me on my evaluation, so Correct. to speak, right? Have you seen a lot more of that in the last five years? Are you, are you a counseling firefighter? Are you, <laughs> are you the shoulder that they cry on lately? Or You know, I, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because although I'm assigned at five, single company station, but probably for the last maybe five years, we have had a rookie that was either in their first six months or second six months probation in the last four or five years easy and most of them are green they're young they haven't worked nowhere else and so with that comes the daily uh hey let's throw a ladder today yeah you're not doing this right or what's your rookie book got left to do in it i mean it's just non-stop you know for that it kind of keeps you moving and that's cool but at the same time, uh, with the time that I have in the department, kind of a little recliner time <laughs> is uh, okay, too, you know. But at the same time, yeah, I do notice a lot of the newer employees, they are less intimidated to speak to me yeah. versus the company officer. You know, and my current company officer is very approachable. But at the same time, maybe there's a sense of, okay, us blue shirts are a, a group and the white shirt is outside the group. So it's easier to talk to the driver. And the, the age I am, a lot of these kids could be my kids age-wise, and maybe they see me <laughs> as a father figure uh, to some yeah. extent as well. And I don't have the energy to pick on people yeah. and do the rookie this, rookie that, blah, blah, blah. You know, at the same time, if I see you're not doing something right, you know, you need improvement or repetition, I will get out of the recliner and we will go and you will practice and practice and practice because there's nothing worse than everybody not being on the same page skill-wise you know, it takes a while to work with people to get, mm-hmm. you know, like, I know what you're thinking without saying something. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that with a new employee, but they need to know what's going on because at the time it's go. You know, yeah, there's a lot of talks and counseling and, you know, encouragement because I see people messing up and they get one reaction from the company officer 
in not showing proficiency. And, you know, I'm kind of the middleman. Yeah. We're, we're for, so I don't keep my foot on the gas, harping, harping, harping. But at the same time, we're going to work on it and try and make you better because that makes us better and yeah. ultimately serves the citizens better. So definitely. I, uh, even when I was an officer, I leaned on the drivers quite a bit yeah. just to ask them, what's the routine? What are the things that I don't have to hold the line? What is the preference of the crew? I oftentimes turn to the driver. I was lucky for a lot when I was a firefighter for a big part of my career. I had Eric Pace on the squad, um, you know, who's right, really retiring on the same day as yeah, you know, yeah, he's we a quintessential together, driver. Right. Um, he's a career driver. He's, he's a career solid. Driver they get, you another know? person we lean on you know, when we have new officers and all that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, rides out all the time, I'm sure. And then I went from there to Quinn 8 with Alan DeBose. One thing I noticed about that is at the time, you know, whenever our lieutenant would take off and we'd have an out of class officer, really that's when I would see Alan step up and say, hey, I'd see him tell him this person, like, this is when we go get meals and what's right. your plan for today? Right. Um, you know, Alan really was holding a lot of hands for out of class officers. Right. You know, yeah, it um, happens. And then, and I was always grateful because I'd be like, oh man, we're, you know, it's going to be six o'clock when we make dinner because, you know, these, these guys don't come in with a plan necessarily. Sure. Uh, and Alan would always help them make a plan for the day, whether it was training or just the small things. Right. But, you know, something else I, I picked up from him was that, and, I, and I've heard you say it a couple times, was check, get that truck checked off. Get it checked every day because you never know when you're going to find something. The crew had a fire late last night or a cardiac arrest or whatever yeah. it was. Anything. At 2 in the morning, they're coming back. Maybe they're on that fire all night. They can't even remember what they took off the truck. Exactly. It's been such a long night. And that's when you're going to find, oh, I actually didn't fill it with water or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. I had that experience when I was making driver. You know, I was leaning on Alan a lot and, uh, and uh, you know, asking him his perspective. And he was, he was very much had a routine and really preferred to not be disrupted on that routine. He <laughs> liked to, to, you know, do this, and then we're checking the truck, then we're going to the store, then we're doing this training. And he was, you know, he was very loyal to it. And he, would, and he was always telling me, uh, get up there and check that, the, check that you got water, get down here. That's how I start, you know, and then I do this, and I check these compartments. So it's my first shift riding out ever. Okay. <laughs> and I go to a station officers out of class and i go okay well we got to go do something real quick in the morning let me just go check the truck real quick before we even get started you know and then i'll do the full check later and i climb on top and i open it up and there's no water no water and, uh, because they had traded into it the truck had broken down they'd trade into a truck at, at night and it just they didn't check the they didn't check the truck the backup truck didn't have water in it and I was like, oh, man, right then and there, the tones go off. And it was an EMS call. But for about a split second, I had like three heart attacks. Right. You know, and uh, I was like, OK, EMS call. Welcome to and stress. On, yeah. <laughs> and on the on the way to the call, I was telling the lieutenant, like, hey, wherever this call is, let's find a hydrant and fill up. And we did it. That was fine. But I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm glad he really nailed that into my mind. You know, when he was sort of mentoring me. Yeah. Because we'd have just gone all day, potentially, if I hadn't, if he hadn't really driven that home, this is what you need to do. You need to check your truck and check this and check that every day. I definitely picked up on that, that, that truck check, you know, as part of anchoring yourself to that. It position. is. And, you know, being the driver, out of class driver, I mean, that's your office, um, that's your responsibility. Everything on that truck, you know, yeah. blinkers working, headlights, clearance lights, emergency lights all the equipment in every compartment ultimately if something's not there um or it's found missing the next day they're going to be calling you to say hey what's the deal you know yeah. and um 
once you get into that role, being a little OCD about it is uh, never a bad thing. Yeah. Because a routine in that position is really, really good. You know, some of these folks that are just taking the driver's test or on the driver's list, um, as well as some individuals that are promoted drivers, they're going to take the upcoming lieutenant's test. Yeah. And they're going to be new officers. What are some of the do's and don'ts? They're, the officer's coming to Station 5, and they're going to ride out, or they're promoted, and they're, they're being assigned to you know, Jason Powell's their driver. What are some recommendations? You've, you've seen a lot of officers at this point. You've seen some styles, and sometimes it's just a matter of style, but yeah. some, you've probably at some point seen some things going, man, they shouldn't do that. You know, or, and, and it could be that they're new to the position, or it could be that they maybe don't understand leadership quite as well as they should. Correct. What are some good things that you've seen officers do? What are some things you think they should stay away from? Uh, yeah, that's um, that's a good question. You know, ultimately, I would say that you need to be who you are. Don't let the rank of lieutenant change who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't become someone that you're not, haven't been. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because you're wearing the white shirt or you're out of class, everybody you're working with knows you're in charge. Mm-hmm. I don't think that just because you're riding officer that day, you need to become someone that you weren't last shift when you were driving out of class mm-hmm. or even two shifts ago when you were a firefighter. I'm not a fan of micromanaging, and I've seen a fair share of people come through. And maybe it has something to do with being nervous or thinking that, you know, all oh, the district chiefs are looking at me. So, you know, I got to act differently than I normally do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's not the case. I think everybody comes to work um, wanting to do a good job and everybody knows what we're supposed to do. And uh, it, it's just to find a routine. The daily stuff becomes automatic. You're new to that position. There's a world of responsibility on your back. And I think that a lot of people take the lieutenant's test way too early. You know, I would really like to see a five-year for driver, 10-year for lieutenant scenario, only because the longer you're here, you get a bigger playbook to draw from. And although a lot of our stuff is routine and EMS calls, and you can almost do a lot of that with your eyes closed, it's those tough calls at 2 in the morning when a car's on its roof and uh, you're first on scene. And someone's, you know, you can imagine just any kind of a scenario, you got to be ready to make a decision. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think a lot of people are ready for that as soon as they are in that position. I, I know I wasn't. Even today, when I ride out, you know, I'm still am a little nervous because I don't want to make a bad decision. I don't want to get anybody hurt. I don't want to get hurt. I think some of the do's would be to find a routine, lead by example, keep it all in perspective by uh, have a little nerves uh, under your belt and... Uh, Go from there. Yeah. Over here on my desk, I have taped up uh, Sean Campbell and Marie and Golterra and Alexis, where some of the, um, particularly Alexis, were a b- big push forming the uh, Leadership Academy. So we wrote these like values that we have here. And each person has some that they're like, that's the one I really think we should drive home. You know, because it's one that maybe from an experience they dealt with someone that didn't portray those or their values that stick out to them. You know, things like, you know, integrity, humility, all those lead from the front. One that I do hear come up quite a bit is about communication and listening and the availability. And then also, and I think that leans into also integrity and honesty a little bit. I've heard that come up and I also hear about 
competence and skill level. You know, so sure. people that are saying, what do I want my officer? I want my officer to be good at their job, whether it's the district chief talking about what we, our expectation officers or the firefighter. Um, but they also want honesty and they also want sort of an availability for communication. Yeah. And what I've picked up a little bit is the some of the don'ts are and this person doesn't want to listen very well or, or they're not available. They don't even know it. They just don't listen to other people. Yeah. Versus someone that's open to some feedback. You know, I don't know how much that registers with you, because I would imagine when you have someone that's been here six years or seven years and they're riding out and you've been here 28 years, you're thinking you might want to listen up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and I've been fortunate. Anybody that has uh, they, they've all been receptive to anything I got to say. Well, that's you good. Know, and yeah. yeah. And I mean, I appreciate that. You know, that just goes along with I want to be the best engine company we can be. So there again, I never overstep my bounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if you are a promoted white shirt or if you're new on the lieutenant's list, you got five years, 10 years. It doesn't matter. I'm going to support you. Mm-hmm. Try and make you as successful for that day as possible, because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I did a little looking on the internet, and you know, some of the things listed about being a good leader is to communicate effectively, and goes along with that is uh, listen attentively, uh, sharing information, be clear on what you want, and clear up any misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people that are new to a leadership position, they may not have a good grasp on that. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't want to do it, but they may not have a good feel for how all that connects with two or three other people in a 24-hour day dealing with emergencies, you know? Yeah. And so it just takes time. It kind of goes back to what I said about having a playbook. Yeah. The playbook's not just calls under your belt. Yeah. It, it deals with all kinds of stuff. You're going to have to be a problem solver. You're going to have to be creative in training and come right. up with uh, opportunities, and the list goes on, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people just move into that position a lot, a lot sooner than, you know, I know I would have. Of course, obviously, I never have yet, so, you know, even looking back, I, I wouldn't have done it at five years or six years, I can tell you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And I think what I hear you saying is about really reflect on your comfort level. Like, have you seen calls? Have you been on calls? Have you seen, you know, have you been there and done that on all, a variety of things? Or have you been paying attention in the time that you have been here so that you feel like you can answer those those questions, right? Sure. And that's a, That's something I always... We just taught a company officer course, and I was talking a little bit about like, hey, our, our expectation is, you know, that you have the answer, that you start working on that. Not that you have them all now, but you'd better start working on it because you can't call the district chief every time something happens. Sure, right. I probably lean too much on the people that have been in this position before me, where at, at some point you just have to a- acknowledge whether you're really comfortable having that answer or not. But I think there's a lot of various scenarios. It's not just sure. Know, residential structure fire it's also <laughs> like hey you, you get to come up with training for the day you get to right. make plans for how to grow and develop your your crews you know you have to be ready to answer what happens if someone gets injured on the job or someone has an exposure like you know can you can you run those plays you exactly know? and that's i think that's a good thing for people that want to be in formal positions of leadership to answer for themselves you know are they comfortable with that how has leadership changed in our department since you first started? You know, looking back years ago, when I first got hired, all the company officers were old salties, so to say. They were the less personality kinds, the big mustaches, all-day coffee drinkers, cigarette smokers. They were hard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they had had 15 or 20 years here. Uh-huh. They'd seen a lot of stuff. And 
I think GFR kind of moved into the EMS game in the late 80s, mm-hmm. 87 or so, 88. And most of them were not EMTs or they were an EMT. Uh-huh. So all the new hirees are, you know, paramedics and we're all firefighters. You know, with that, I think they didn't know what to do with the new breed, as we were called, because they felt intimidated, especially on EMS calls, right. that you were smarter than them. And that, you know, well, the paramedic's not in charge. I'm in charge of right. the call, you know. And it was that kind of rhetoric that went on for years. And slowly as things changed, their mindset was different. And, of course, some retired out. New people get promoted that were here during the change of it and stuff. You know, so it kind of came to be like it was. You know, back then, the leadership didn't seem to be as involved as it is now. You know, things are in place now for expectations. And, I mean, there were expectations back then, and we'd had to do a multi-company drill, night drill once a six months and this and that you know and there there was always that in place but now it just seems to be more more prevalent where there's um accountability to it it's a fast-paced environment now yeah compared to what it was years ago yeah um i can tell you i'm kind of glad to have been a part of it then kind of the old school moving into what we are now but i can tell you me 25 years ago if i was to come into the department now I'd have to step my game up. Yeah. Now, if I was the same 25 years ago guy or 28 years ago as a brand new firefighter, I'd have to step my game up because look at the gladiator kind of working out that we do. Uh, we didn't do that back then. I mean, yeah. it wasn't well, even, we didn't do that when I got hired. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> so as, as it's changed and not to mention, you know, the world of EMS has changed greatly over the years with the, You know, the biggest thing is the 12 lead stuff, and now we've moved into uh, basically the last couple medical directors we had. is It's really about these alerts, and we always had a trauma alert, but now, you know, STEMI alert, sepsis alert, corona alert. Yeah. There's just a lot of information to keep up with. That being said, things are in a lot better place with GFR now. And getting back to leadership now compared to back then, you know, I think people are a lot more educated now with – degrees they might not have the time and service they'll get it they definitely are held to a higher standard and most of them do a good job at holding their crews to a higher standard you know because everything flows downhill you know with that it's kind of been it's kind of been neat to see the whole transition go from 28 years ago to where we are now how has that impacted the driver operator position in your mind i'll give you one quick example i think i made driver right when these changes were really sort of happening faster. Everything from fitness to our expectations to our call load, because yeah. when I got our call load since I was hired here till now doubled. 2010 to 2020, it doubled in that time. Okay. I was surprised when I did the statistics as an EMS captain. I was like, oh, man, I guess I didn't pay attention to the fact that we were that much busier. Right. Uh, maybe because I was on the squad. Okay. And so I was busy. <laughs> and now just all the units are busy. Yeah. And uh-huh. Engine 3 was obviously busy way back in the day. And Engine 2 doing alarms. But the call load has gone up quite a bit. Yep, it has. The, our commitment to training in the last six, seven, eight years, what we've asked people to do has gone up. And I don't know that I've ratcheted it up myself, but I definitely wasn't shy about rolling out training just this year. I've asked the captains, bring it, let's do it. And they, they did meet that challenge. But when I made driver kind of around accreditation time and I had one district chief say, 
get in that truck and go. The lieutenant will look it up on the map. I, I was just promoted. Like I'd been, I made driver and I was getting sent to a hotel <laughs> right. in, that was going to be squad two in this territory that wasn't even city's territory up until then, you know? And I was like, okay, I really don't know this territory because I didn't even work here as a firefighter. And they're like, get in the truck. And I, th I think at the time I was, it was seven. And then I went back to my station. I had another district chief show up and say, you know, you really need to work on territory. And back in the day, they would bring print maps out and right. study them and, you know, make sure you know where you're going when you get in that truck. This happened on the same day that I had these two conversations and I said, hey, just so you know, <laughs> you guys are telling me two different things here. <laughs> and, and part of it was the department was saying, hey, we know you get to the truck quickly, but now we're timing it. Yeah. And, and our expectation is this, this truck's going to roll and get to these calls. Yeah. Um, get out of station. For, not just for accreditation, but it's the standard that we want to live up to. Sure. And so I remember thinking my role as a driver changed, like, or my perception of how I was going to do this changed in one day. I'm being told over here, make sure you know where we're going. This other guy's saying, forget that. Get in the truck. Get in the you know? truck and go. <laughs> you'll, you'll learn. And uh, You don't know where you're going, but so you're getting like, there yeah, fast, this, right? This changed, <laughs> this, my plan changed it overnight. I could see that, like, conversation having because then I would go right out somewhere and I'd, and I'd have a, a young officer say, hey, uh, take your time, go to the map, figure it out, and then get in the truck. And then right. I'd go somewhere else and they'd be like, get in the truck, we'll look it up. We'll and look I'm it like, up. whoa, all right, we're having these different conversations. And now it's sort of really all molded to do your best to learn territory, but when the bell goes off, get in that truck. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And, uh, and I, but I was there when that change was literally not everyone was even t saying the same story. It was hitting that day, you know. Right. Um, in your experience, over a bigger period of time, how have you seen that driver's role change? You know, like uh, just to reiterate what you just said, um, depending on who your company officer is and your district chief, you may or may be told one thing or the other. The timestamp of getting out of the station. Yeah. That was a really big deal. I mean, yeah. because we were always expected to get out of the station and go. Mm -hmm. But when the accreditation thing was going on, that was a game changer because talk's ticking as soon as the dispatcher talks. Yeah. And, you know, it's like we had a district chief here that's now retired. We were just talking, and he was like, well, you know, the time starts when the buzzer goes off, and the dispatcher speaks for about 30 seconds. So that's 30 seconds of your minute. To yeah. get out of the station. So if you don't get moving to the truck and listen and all this, and I, I got to thinking, you know, well, that makes a lot of sense. But if you, you know, put it on this perspective, it's like, wow, this is really fast. Yeah. And of course, at that time, I was driving engine three. I'd been over there for years and I'd been accused of even driving to a couple calls dead asleep and making it safely to the scene. So I don't know. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I didn't notice it so much personally because it's like yeah. anywhere over there i know like the back of my hand but at the same time i went to squad two and then i go from there to engine five yeah i felt a little bit of pressure you know because i want to be responsible and i don't want my lieutenant having to tell me where to go once right. in a while i'll be like a weird address up in eights territory or up in seven that i've never been assigned at you get up in some of the neighborhoods you need right. to turn left. If you go right, you're going to hit the canal and have to back out and go around yeah. the block. And I don't, I don't want to do all that. I want to go straight to the scene, you know, yeah. as fast as possible. So I would say that uh, over the course of being a driver, the um, expectations have added, um, you know, a little extra stress uh, yeah. to, to that position. And there again, depending on who your company officer is, may or may not ease that stress or they may compound it. You know, it's just yeah. who's say you're working with. So. Thank you
when I first made Driver as a firefighter, right, I slept in my PT clothes and, you know, jumped in my bunker gear if I had to um, to go on a call. And when I was made Driver, you know, and, and, and I was, man, I was getting moved pretty quick, you know, from here to here to here to here. And I, so I never got a chance to really just soak it in on the territory. <laughs> so I was just like, that's it. I'm sleeping in my clothes and boots on everything yeah. so that I could have 10 more seconds <laughs> to look at this map sure. than the other person. <laughs> of course, in summertime, Florida, that's like not great experience, right? right. That's not the way to do it. Um, so I just lay there at night and there's like no blankets. And then um, because I was like, man, I... You know, I need five seconds to look at this map if right. I, when I'm first getting to a new territory. Um, but I, I also had the experience of I made EMS captain, was EMS captain for two years, and then I came back to the road. And I felt like things had changed in that those two years. And those, that was about 2014, around there. I felt like, wow, everyone here does workouts that just one person was doing on their own, maybe. Like, yeah. N- now everyone does them. <laughs> right. And that's it. Right. Um, and I was I thought and it was a good thing. Um, but I did think that uh, the training and the not just physical training, but training up for the job was noticeably higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was like, oh, man, I got to up my game. Exactly. Like, you know, so I go to station three and my driver was Scott Robinson. And man, I don't know how this guy learned that territory so fast, but I, it got to the point where I didn't even. Every now and then I'd get in and be like, hey, you know where this is? And uh, I just stopped asking. I, and I was really amazed at how much pressure I felt that took off my shoulders as an officer to yeah. be like, every time I get in this truck, it this guy knows where to go. Yeah, he made your day easier. And it's one of the first questions, and I think a lot of officers would tell you that, when you go somewhere and you have a new officer or firefighter riding out of class as a driver, you'll ask that, how are you doing on the territory? Because it's part of the plan. Like when I get in this truck, am I going to the map or am I, you know, reading the CAD? Exactly. You know, which one of the, which is my first move based on your comfort level? So I know I agree that that just that territory knowledge. It's huge. It's you huge. know, it really is. And there's nothing worse if you're riding company officer and you know you're bracing for a a hard right turn and a hard left turn takes place. You know, because yeah. at the same time <laughs> you, you're you get a little rocked in the seat and then you like look over and be like, you know where we're going? You yeah. know. No, I get it. And, and when I ride out, that's one of the first things, you know, unless it's someone I'm not familiar with is I'll, I'll be like, hey, let me know if you don't know where we're going. Because I'm not going to ask them every call. You know, you, got this yeah. you know, that's just me. But uh, I'll be like, hey, if you if you don't know where we're going, just say something before we pull out on the street. You know, that's just kind of blends to the way I was kind of uh, treated coming up as a out of class driver, too, is I had a lot of laid back lieutenants. And I think that really solidified the way I handle life yeah. you know I'm very comfortable as a driver right um and it's not a stressful position to me right um I've been afforded the opportunity to pump uh, several fires that were of big caliber uh-huh. um and then I can't tell you how many single re- family residents one and two handline fires that we've had over the years and uh, you can do it with your eyes closed once you do it long enough yeah you know same thing comes you know, riding out too, very comfortable over there as well. But uh, never did like being micromanaged, and I try not to ever micromanage anybody uh, at work because that just makes the stress level go up. You yeah, know? you talked about having some laid back, and I think maybe some accommodating personalities, and how important that is. You know, we in part of that company officer course that we just taught, we had them. I I I want to say this is the first time we did it, just because I want to have that pride, but. Uh, <laughs> So Trin and I 
had dispatch uh, do a special event at, at, a, at my house, and no one had been there yet. And so we had them get in a fire truck at Westside Park, and they had to find the address and help their driver get there from Westside Park to my okay. house, having never been there before. So it was on them, and I purposely like zoomed the map in on like the wrong part of town so that they would have to like zoom out and find the location okay. and, and get dressed just so they would understand that that you know that stress for the first time they ride out they got to know hey i i got to help this person get there exactly you know and then one of the conversations we were having was like hey you, you know you need to make sure you create an environment where when people don't know where to go or are not comfortable with territory that they are honest with you about that so if you're hammering them you know as an officer then they may not tell you what they're comfortable or uncomfortable with Sure. Right. But if you create an environment where they can come and say, hey, you know, I'm, I normally drive over here, but I'm new to this territory and I'm not comfortable with it. If you can create an environment where it's OK for them to admit that, then then they will tell you and, and you will be better prepared for that Absolutely. reality versus them saying, yeah, no, I'm, I'm OK. And because they don't want to admit. Sure. Hey, I'm new to this area. Right. And I told them, hey, the the consequence of not having that environment is they won't tell you and then you'll get caught off guard that. They're, you're rolling down the road, and they're not sure That's which right. turn to make. It, that kind of falls back on communication. Right. You know, you know, got to be able to put yourself out there and be receptive to others. Yeah. You know, and so. You know, th there was a time, and I only experienced about a year of this, but there was a time where there wasn't a GPS. Uh, when I worked on the rescue, you had a hard map book. Oh, in yeah. the truck. You're right. While the other person was getting in, you were looking it up, and, and you had to remember the route you were taking. There wasn't – and then they would tr hopefully throw you a bone and open that MacBook themselves sure. <laughs> if you didn't know. But it wasn't on a computer, right? And no. So, um, it wasn't so, that long ago. Yeah, and so know? sometimes I – the reality is a lot of people don't have that experience. So that, that CAD goes down, you know, what, what's the plan, <laughs> right? Are you prepared for the, you're going to have to help that person get there. Exactly. Right? So, uh, uh, but you, I imagine drove for years where that was the plan, right? It was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You had to go to the map. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of chuckling cause a, I was on rescue one, one shift and my partner was, uh, driving out of class. They were put in that position that day, and uh, we were both firefighters. And um, nevertheless, we go through the day, and we get a call that night. Uh, I had been helping with territory throughout the day to the point where I might as well have just been driving the truck. Right. Nevertheless, we get this call, and it was over there off of Southwest 13th Street, over behind PK. It's the, yeah. the Hidden Lake Apartments or something like that. From station, The old Station 1, the easiest route is jump on Main, go west on 4th Avenue, down on 13th and turn yeah. in on 11th you're there so we, we pull out and we pass fourth avenue mm -hmm. and we're accelerating past second avenue yeah and i'm like okay well maybe we're going to go to university and um turn left uh head west and um nope we didn't so we're continuing north on uh, main street so i'm like hey you know we got to go southwest 13th street we got to go over towards campus and go south and okay okay so quick u-turn no real big factor, and now we're going west on University Avenue, and as we're accelerating through the green lights and he heading that way, I, I know we're not about to turn south on 13th Street, so yeah. I'm like, hey, left turn, left turn on 13th. So, okay, mm, quick break, here we go. Accelerating, 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 we're getting down, um, you know, across 4th Avenue that we should have come out on yeah. anyway. We're going on down to the what's known as the DNA Bridge now, yeah. this and that. I'm like, all right, turn's coming up. 
and uh, heartbreak and just sitting in the middle of the road. I'm like, turn left. All right, so boom, in we go. Yeah. Uh, as we pull up, they have a night security guard there. As we pull up, and we knew the apartment number, yeah. but we were going to get like a direct shot yeah. to it. The uh, person driving the truck had some sort of a map book rolled up in their hand, okay, like the whole yeah. time they were driving. As the window was rolled down, the guy said, yeah, what apartment are you going to? We told him, and he was like, hold on, let me look it up. It's my first day here. And the person <laughs> looked at me and had the audacity to say, can you believe they don't know where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like shocked because I just went through this seven or eight minute code run where the person driving the truck didn't know where we were going, but yet you're going to chastise somebody yeah. at the security guard, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that being said, that, that was, that was one of the funny stories. And luckily it was one of those calls that would have been fine if EMS never existed. So, you know, it was no harm, no foul, but, uh, some of the things that we've noticed in the and some of the conversations that that is being had right now is really just um, our department has always been sort of a jack of all trades department, you know, where every anybody can fill any seat kind of mentality. Except we're getting to the call load and the building type. We're we're thinking about really we need people to start specializing a little bit. That's a conversation that Hill House has been having. Um, but one of the things that we notice is. Well, building access is more of an issue now than it used to be. I mean, roll back the clock 15 years ago, everything was a door you could open or it was locked sure. with a key. Yeah. Whereas now sometimes you need a key card or the, or the code word or uh, like dorms, right? Everyone needs, you know, actually the training building actually that we're in, you need your card to, we have the magnetic card that swipes sure. you in. Yeah. Um, and, there, and so now when I think of downtown and old squad one territory, all those all those things were old houses and so and it was a it was a grid system but a lot of that has been redone into apartments and some of the homes were just turned into apartments they're still that's still the old house but it's part of an apartment system sure right? you know they'll call it like the oaks or such and such but it's still the old like 1920s built house and then there's a new building next to it that's still part of that complex right, right? and um and so there are issues about access and apartments whereas before you named any address downtown west of west of main street i could get to it because it was just north on this street what you know yeah west pretty on this gritted street, up right? yeah now they'll, they'll say an apartment and i'm like what apartment is that when, when did that pop up right. well in the last four years yeah. dozens of them yeah have and it's up. six stories tall or all these <laughs> homes have been you know since the housing bust were bought up and converted and yep. built into condos and and now there's access issues because now they all have, you know, some of them have these magnetic strips and some of them, you know, yep. that's building D. You wouldn't know that unless you really had walked around there because it, it's just randomly called building D or sure. building E or building one or two, right? Versus having the 1230 Southwest, West, you know, Third Avenue, which is easy. I can find that in my sleep, right? right. I, I could guess, hey, 12th Street and Third Avenue. I know it's in that area. But you just give me random apartment name and apartment number, and now it involves specialization that comes with pre-planning. That's right. Right, that, and knowing that territory, except our call load doubled. So when you put all those things hand in hand, and then knowing where the magnetic key card is in the Knox box, which is around back on building A. You right. Know? So a lot of that knowledge can only be acquired through sort of not moving people around quite as much. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So it's just sort of interesting because I, I didn't notice that change till I was assigned as an officer there, 
and the driver either was very familiar with that or I was like, I don't know either, man. Like, what? <laughs> I'd never heard of that apartment. I'd been here all my life. You know? Right. I started driving around um, just as a lieutenant. I just got in my car and started driving around Midtown. And I was like, I went to college here. I knew this like the back of my hand. And then I had to drive around and be like, okay, that apartment. Okay, that house is part of that apartment building. Okay. Yes. So I had to put that together. But yeah. I don't. I was curious if you'd noticed that in the last few years. In <laughs> well, terms you know, of city changing. It it is. Um, I travel uh, a, a little bit as you know, um, ride lieutenant for the day, and some of my travels take me to two and one. Yeah. And the skyline has definitely changed in the last three years uh, dramatically. That's a whole new level of potential. Um, you know, calls that we're going to run on. Yeah. Like you just mentioned, even simple EMS call, if you don't have access, you know, it complicates things. And so not to mention um, if there were some sort of a uh, you know fire emergency or a gas leak or CO leak, uh, alarm or whatever, you know, that just complicates uh, things even more so. But uh, the city of Gainesville has changed a lot. We've grown yeah. uh, more people, bigger buildings, and uh, the way we used to do stuff is going to have to change, especially in that, concentrated areas yeah for sure well uh, it, it brings future. back the importance of territory you know i don't necessarily need to know how to get to that building but i need to know how to get into that building sure i still can't be oblivious about about the information in my territory yeah. just because it's on a G, you know on a map on a computer i mean a lot of these mixed-use buildings they have stores on the bottom and then living up top well how do you access the living it's not through every store so exactly now i gotta find <laughs> Around what side is the entrance? Where's the residential and I, and entrance? I need to know that about all the various buildings in my territory, and essentially, I would lean a lot on a drivers for that information. Absolutely. Right? So. Yeah, that goes with, like you said, the importance of being assigned somewhere and having some time in that territory. A regular person is going to pick up on that with pre-plans, uh, running calls there, even just seeing it uh, as they travel around town. They're going to be familiar with it, and someone new coming in for the day or. Uh, new assignment, you know, they'll be able to definitely benefit from a driver having that knowledge. A lot of times with new guys that we have on the truck, even on EMS call, um, I put the thought in their mind to look at the environment we're walking into. What do you notice about neighborhoods, styles of houses? You can kind of tell the way Gainesville has grown with the progression over the decades with the style of houses that we go in. For example, you know, your typical block house, ranch style, you know, three bedrooms on one side, living yeah. room, carport on the other. They're littered through the northeast and northwest Gainesville. Right. And they've all got about the same footprint. Some yeah. might, you know, be a little different because of right. a remodel or whatever, whatever. But it's good to get that in your mind because we go here today on an EMS call. Next shift, it may be a house fire. Yeah. You know, I always get people to look at if it's an in-swing door, out-swing door, what kind of windows do they got? Do they got window bars? Is it a steep roof or shallow roof and just, just to get the wheels turning and that goes along in line with a lot of this new stuff is when we go there we're going to need to be thinking about that kind of stuff right because it's only going to help us out in the future when we respond to something that is less favorable conditions or with heat and smoke in it you know so, yeah yeah the presence of or the information of where the knox box is started mattering to me a lot more when I was assigned downtown and I was like how do you get into this building right <laughs> like, how do you get in? okay there's a door I probably wouldn't really want to force if I didn't have to um <laughs> if I could just had that magnetic key card or whatever it is that they have right and then on top of that every floor has a locked you know area or something like that yeah you mentioned earlier having some experience pumping some big fires right we have a brand new driver 
starting off? What what are some things that maybe they don't know right about? They've taken the driver's test, but sure. they've never pumped a big old fire. Right. Tell them about that experience. What do they need to know? First and foremost, if you successfully get through GFR's hydraulics pumping test and pass it, you are ready for about anything that you're going to come across in your career. I mean, without a doubt, the time that people put into pumping these multiple line scenarios with different tips and elevations and different lengths of hose, that's exactly what you have to have in your playbook for a significant fire. Something else that I tell people is that a real fire is never going to unfold as fast as it does on the driver's test. You have time. Inherently, our bread and butter is both pre-connects off, maybe a third line of some sort just for whatever. We deal with a lot of fires with just that and do a good job at it. Mm -hmm. But there are going to be times that you're going to have to put a stinger out or you're going to have to catch a standpipe or you're going to have to support the sprinklers. They're few and far between, but nothing unfolds in the same 10 minutes of a driver's test that will be in real life. So I try and tell people that are new because the next tone that goes off, it's going to be the big one, right? Yeah. That's what they're thinking. And, right. And so most likely it's not, but I try and instill confidence in them. I'll tell them, look, you just passed the driver's test. You got this. And, you know, nothing's going to unfold as fast in real life as it does because, you know, for one, we don't have the manpower on scene initially we, we don't have the water supply uh, you know we have to right. slowly progress into all those stages and then as a fire gets bigger or command thoughts uh, may change on the attack we need to make that's when additional lines may be added or a different game plan will happen and you'll have to switch gears but but even at that it's going to take time right and so you know I, I think I've had people tell me yeah I get it that kind of eases my mind a little bit you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, at the same time. But, uh, no, there, there's been there's been several times throughout my career as a driver where pumping a big fire in the duck pond that catches another house and your five inches almost collapsed uh, two times at the Kennedy Homes fire. Oh, um, yeah. You know, those were big fires where you've got almost every discharge taken between your pre-connects and your three-inch going to, uh, at, you know, at that point it's all exposure stuff. But, nevertheless, you're still flowing water. Then if you ever have to hook up a ladder and supply water supply on the platform, you know, you get through the driver's test, you're going to be fine. You know, if we come across a real fire that gets that big, you're going to be fine. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's probably good news for all these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's 19 people on the list right now that are going to take a nice big deep breath. I hope so. You know, and I'm proud of all of them. You know, I worked with um, a couple of them, you know, one person specific all through holiday routine. We pumped every day every shift and if it wasn't that it was rookie book stuff with the proby firefighter we got right and it's really good to get the questions asked they want the knowledge and you can see them grow from what they the first scenarios they ran to two months later the scenarios are a lot sharper the numbers are better they're a lot more proficient it's a lot smoother and it's yeah. it's kind of cool and rewarding to see that any effort you put into something the fruits of your labor kind of thing you know and, and it's an accomplishment to make the driver's list. It really is. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, it's it, 100%. It's no joke, man. <laughs> yeah. So test is no joke. I think it's one of the best examples of maintaining a standard that I've seen. Yep. I mean, because whenever you, and I've written 
a bunch of promotional exams at this point. I've had a hand in two driver's tests, and now I personally wrote two lieutenant's tests. And you'll definitely be questioned all along the way mm-hmm. about, well, oh, that's kind of hard. That's unrealistic. And so you really have to put a lot of thought in making it as realistic as possible. But no one questions the pumping portion of our driver's test anymore. No. Like, it, it, <laughs> it is somehow it's achieved this status where it's, um, I got to hand it to those individuals. They created, a, it's bulletproof and it's grading and everyone just acts on faith that that's, that's how we should be testing it. And we talk about all the other sections plenty, yeah. but everyone just knows that's what we do here for uh, our hydraulics portion. It's yep. hard. And if you do very well on it, it's because you've prepared yourself. Exactly. It's a great example of, you know, setting a standard and maintaining it over the years because we've been able to maintain that test the way it is. Yeah, um, um, I've even gone. I do feel for people that take it, though, because oh, absolutely, you're nervous, and it doesn't matter how simple, uh, you know, West Breed will tell you it's it's very straightforward, and it is, but it doesn't feel that way when you're taking it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> nope. Um, I've had the uh, opportunity to do um, four driver promotional tests, two with the same department and one, uh, two with two different departments, and just in those for examples, our pumping part, hands down, smoked that department, those other departments' requirements for their yeah. exam. Their test was decent. That's what they were comfortable giving. But yeah. in looking, comparing it to ours, is there was no comparison. And, and we've had we've had a high standard of the pumping test for years. You know, I mean, going back to when kind of Earl Biggs initiated it and West Breeden joined in back then. And, you know, it's kind of just evolved into what it is now. And like you said, it's really – it's a standard. It's it's not even questioned. It's it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be crazy. Worst case scenario, fire. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, I definitely felt very comfortable when I passed that. I was like, no, I think, you know, I feel good driving. You know, I feel good with the idea that I can pump a fire. Yeah. You know, because it's a high pressure test. In the lieutenant's test, the first lieutenant's test I wrote, I included this portion where you would have to troubleshoot the pump. That your driver would say, I don't I don't know what happened. I I can't get water. Right as you come out of the build, right as you come out of the connex, like, and you know, you just ves into this room. You find a, a a baby doll that I put in this fake crib, and right when you come out, the driver's like, "Hey, uh, I can't, I can't get water," <laughs> and you know, and you, and I did it based on this experience that I a mistake that I had made while I was a driver, which was that I had just forgot to put it in the pump, and I'm like looking at this panel, like, what in the world? Like, I know I'm doing this right. What's going on here? And Eric Pace showed up and was like, hey, you didn't put it in pump. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to put that in the officer's test. The officer's going to have to walk this driver through, like, troubleshooting the it pump. It could happen. Because we had, a, for a while, a lot of people that were like, well, I don't really I, – I took the driver's test, but I don't want to be a driver. I want sure. to be an officer. And it's like, okay, but you can't dismiss this position because it's important. Exactly. And, and I agree. And you have to be prepared to help, right? And, uh, man, nobody missed it. And I thought for sure I was going to snag somebody with this, right? And maybe it's because based on my own mistakes. But uh, what was funny was that the people that were very good at pumping, the West Breedons of the world that took the tests, looked at the panel and troubleshooted it every last aspect, turned some things, and then and then were and then arrived at the answer. One person was so mentally smoked that they just shut everything down they just closed it all up and sat in the truck like they were taking the driver's test and started from step one okay and i was like and i actually remember thinking if i'm ever not figuring it out i'm doing that yeah that exactly. was right and uh, everyone else 
I think maybe must have made the same mistake because within seconds they were just like, what did you put in pump? <laughs> like, and I was like, how did 15 people just, I mean, they were, they would come out and they would be like, uh, did you put it in pump? <laughs> and a, a role player wasn't allowed to say anything. So they were like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. And they would just go check that first. Okay. And this was people on the first day. There's no way that word got out to them. And I was like, they must've made that mistake before. And it just made me laugh because I was like, man, I'm going to get a lot of people with this. Right. Like, there's going to be some people that are stumped. I got nobody. Everybody figured it out. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, <laughs> sorry you didn't catch somebody. I didn't catch anybody. Point, it's like, I was hey, like, oh, these guys. I didn't catch somebody. These guys don't right. think dri- being a driver is important. I'm going to get them. And <laughs> everybody got that. Exactly. Uh, in fact, ev- almost everyone got it within a second. Like, yeah, you didn't put it in pump. That's what happened here. I've done that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the people that were really good were like, well, let me look at the panel. And troubleshoot this exactly, right? and then so it's sort of interesting. Yeah, that's what they always tell you. Go back to square one. You know, you're approaching the last year of your career here. Yep. Just about everybody here has less time than you. Yeah. Any words of wisdom, so that they can end this career, sort of with the same admiration and status that everybody has for you as as being someone that they enjoy working with that does a good job. Right? Any parting words for them? Like, how how do they get there? Uh, you know, it 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 takes time. You will benefit from the effort that you put into something, whether it's driving a fire truck or uh, working out. And I would say that, uh, you know, come to work looking forward to have a good time, have fun at work, be serious when it's time to be serious, and never take for granted that, uh, well, I, I would say don't take the position that you're not prepared as you could be and hopefully someone else will pick up my slack. Mm-hmm. Practice like you play. Be game day ready all the time. You know, as time goes on, you'll get better. The calls will come. Your playbook will build. You know, hopefully that will help you prosper and have a successful and positive career for the rest of your uh, time at the department. Yeah. That's a really awesome advice. You know, one thing I I want the all these young cats on the driver's list to get is that, you know, we're, we're going to lean on them. We're not waiting for them to be officers. We expect them to have answers. Absolutely. We expect them to know where to go. We expect them to help their officers. We expect them to have opinions, to pick up how alarms should be handled so that when they're 8, 10, 12, 15 years on the job and then someone's riding out for the first time as an officer, that we know that we have that same perspective as district chiefs and that we have with you and Eric Pace now on the Bose, which is, Oh, this new person, they're riding out for the first time? Okay. Oh, okay, they're going to be with Eric, or they're going to be with Jason. They're going to be with Alan. That's right. We know, we know it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I will leave you with that thought. I didn't, I didn't work on the riding schedule for a long time because I got moved over here to training, but I, I saw senior drivers in a whole new light because it was like, man, I can put anybody over there. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to be— uh, And I know it's going to go okay. Right. And so I I will ask the drivers of the department, be that, be that person, be the Jason Powell and Eric Pace is now the Bose that I can trust anyone on their first day to be on the right seat because you're in the left seat and the left seat matters. In that case, maybe even more in a young department. Maybe even more. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Anything else, Jason, from the left seat? (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for the chance to, you know, get some thoughts out there and. This was fun. I appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, we might have you back for another episode. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's a retired guy. Okay. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Sharpen Your Axe podcast. We're here to share insights from the field, lessons learned, and examples of leadership excellence. Dedicated to developing stronger fire department leadership to better serve the community. Make sure you subscribe and share with anyone who might benefit from listening. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, contact us at gfrpodcast at cityofgainesville.org.